Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical world view. I'm Bruce Johnson, of course, joined by Jacob Johnson, my brother. Hello everybody. And today is Current Events Monday. Welcome back to another Monday episode. Hopefully you enjoyed our special last week. Um, I know we did. That was that was quite the uh, quite the episode, quite the debacle. If you missed that, go ahead and check that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, ChatGPT and the CIA are a thing, and mm-hmm. then a whole bunch of other stuff. So that's it's crazy. Um, you should check that out. Are we? But did we announce that we're planning on doing that monthly? We did. I think we did last week. I think we did. Um, but if we didn't. Here we go. Guess what, everyone? We're doing this <laughs> monthly. We're doing that. The thing we did last week. It's a monthly occurrence. You're welcome. Um, yeah, it's coming at you every month now. So there's that. Uh, we planned out this month. If you missed the calendar, go to our social media pages. But we're kicking this off this week. I'm just going to announce this really quickly at this top of this um, episode, top of the week, if you will. But on um, Monday, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday, the 11th, we're going to be covering chapters two and three in the book, The Case for Christian Nationalism. Um, So stay tuned for that. Those are intense. And I'll tell you what, already reading through those chapters, we've, yeah, it's, you don't want to miss our Wednesday episode. It's it's going to be a little You mean Wednesday, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I say? Tuesday. Hmm. Did I say Tuesday? Weird. Okay. So, yeah, Tuesday the 11th. Wednesday the 11th. That's when I said Tuesday. Thank you. That's why there's two of us. One of us catches the other's dumb mistakes, and it's usually <laughs> going in one direction. Um, so, then Friday the 13th. <clears throat> Anyways. Um, I'm starting a new series called America's Poisoned Heart. I swear we didn't plan on that happening. Um, like, oh, Friday the we 13th. We should have talked about horror on that episode. I, that would have been a well, good planning. Kind of are. We, we kind of are. That's, That's why I true. Said I, That's we true. We planned it that way, but we kind of are. <laughs> like, it's pretty horrific, the uh, the poisoned heart of America. So anyways, kicking that off. Brand new series, and we're going to be doing that for a little bit. But uh, we're going to be assessing her injuries. And um, it's nasty. So if you're faint of heart, don't look. Um, so that's coming up on Friday. But today's Current Events Monday. So we're going to do what we always do. We've got Kevin McCarthy. Was a, was a dude, is a dude, didn't die, just politically dead. Um, and stuff happens. Well, he sort week. of politically died, but. Yeah, he did. He it, it, it's, dead, is but... it a death if he, I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe it could be considered a death. Maybe true. He died, it everybody. looks like it. I mean, that's, this is, yeah. This is the just first, clip that. I mean, just clip it right yeah. there. Kevin McCarthy died. <laughs> he died. So anyways. There's that. Uh, lost chat about there. Then we have a quick theological wrap-up at the end, uh, talking about learning and not to settle. But before we get into all that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. Our verse passage this week is Isaiah 57, 19 through 21. This passage says, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is far off, and to him that is near, saith the Lord. And I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And that's Isaiah 57, 19 through 21. So this is obviously in a 
tumultuous time, <laughs> to say the least, mm-hmm. in Israel's history. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot there. And so obviously this this comes at the tail end of that. Um, Calvin had some interesting things to say on this particular passage. A lot of them related to talking about why things were phrased the way they were. So for instance, reiterating peace, peace to him that is far off and to him that is near. Um, this was during the time where a lot of them, they were exiled. Some of them were in captivity. And so this was, this was he said, relating to people who were in captivity and people who were who were near, who were not in captivity. Um, and the interesting thing there is you have these two groups of people who both receive this, this same peace who still have that covenant, right? Who are still connected and have this future ahead of them. So I think that that's a huge comfort. We're going to be talking about those sorts of things as we go throughout the episode today, how when things look bleak, there's still that covenant there. There's still that uh, glorious future there. And we can't just compromise in the moment because things look bad and, oh, let's just do what they're telling us to because, wow, we're not getting out of this alive, right? As opposed to, no, we have these glorious promises from God. That's where our hope is. That's where our focus is. No matter how bad it looks, that's where we focus on, right? Um, So we're going to flesh that out throughout today, but we've talked about that lots of times, but, um, but that, that was really interesting to hear that from here. Um, but then I think this last, this middle bit is fascinating describing the wicked, like troubled sea, um, like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And, um, the, it's interesting there how the, uh, the result of the wicked what they produce is ugly, right? For a while, it looks, it's hidden under the surface and then it casts up (laughs) dirt and fire and just ugliness, right? And that's there. That's beneath the surface. That's just waiting to come out. Um, And so I think that that's a brilliant analogy for uh, today, right? The connection is so obvious. It looks like they're so strong. They're doing so well. They're succeeding. They have a strategy when we don't, right? They're, the left is pushing and succeeding and pushing in all these ways. And yet we're starting to see erosion, right? We're starting to see Disney collapse. We're starting to see government schools decline dramatically. We're starting to see, you know, economic failure. We're starting, you know, all these things where um, Jake and I were discussing in the pre-show a little bit about natural law, or he was. I was just sitting there listening. Um, and he was describing this concept of there are just natural laws that are built, inbuilt, and you can't do anything against them. And when you try, you're just going to fail because it's like trying to bang your head against a brick wall, right? Oh, I'm going to move this brick wall. Okay, you can believe that all you want. You can try to do it all you want. But at the end of the day, it's solid, right? It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's laws. It's how things work. And so that's kind of how this works, right? The wicked think, oh, we're going to win. We got this. Yeah, we got a victory, right? They're, the wicked are post-mill. They believe in their own victory and they're covenantal, as in covenantal succession. We've got fancy words. They don't. They just know, go for the kids and work hard no matter what for the future. And it's a demonic goal. It's horribly evil. But they're better at our own strategy than we are, which should tell you something. 
All right. So all that being said, we're going to be covering this verse throughout this week. So hopefully you come with your own conclusions and interesting perspectives too. share them with us at uh, TRD show at protonmail.com. All right, Jake, what do you got for us? I mean, stuff happened. What the heck went down last well, week for those of you? For speaking, those who don't know. Yeah. Speaking about an effective strategy, I thought it would uh, bring this up um, and how this fits in. I will get to like, brought up the effective strategy, but uh, first I want to speak about McCarthy. And and I, I do believe that this is something that's quite well known at this point, uh, that Kevin McCarthy was ousted. They're using ousted. I don't know if that's the technical term or not. I don't know what the technical <laughs> term is. I would assume impeached. Impeached would be a technical Removed. term, but impeachment is more of a... Um, like a, a trial or something like that. Yeah. So maybe it's well, not impeached. Because this was this was one of the clauses earlier this year, which you'll get into in a second. But this was one of the clauses that after just one vote, he would be um, he there. There could be a movement made to remove him with just one vote. And so that, you know, yeah, that happened. Yeah. So. yeah. And that, that did occur because of, yeah, and I'll get into that in a second. However, um, McCarthy, right, the former Speaker of the House, had a historic start to his position, and this is vital. I, I thought I would bring this up because this is vital to what I want to speak about later. He had to go through 15 ballots, right, 15 votes. They had to bring it up 15 times before he was elected. And that, that was historic. That hadn't happened... And, uh, um, hadn't happened before except for one time and that was right before the Civil War. So we assumed thing, you know, the, the whole speculation is that maybe, oh no, is Civil War on the horizon? Yeah. We don't know. Maybe. But it was historic, right? Now, now he has gone through a historic end to his career as a speaker. McCarthy is now the very first speaker of the House to ever be kicked out of his position. And much like what happened with his election, all Republicans all Republicans are now mad at the very at the few people who decided to stand up and say something. So those first 15 said, "Hey, we don't like we don't like what's going on. We don't like McCarthy. We don't think he's strong enough. Let's make these stipulations and make sure that he is strong. All the other Republicans were mad at them, because mad at them for doing that. And again, yeah. And now with what's going on, because they removed him, all the Republicans are mad at him. Sorry, not mad at him. I'm mad at those eight that I want to call them freedom fighters. I want to take like today and show the liberty scores of the eight Republicans. Now, this is something that's easily found. I just, I, I don't think it's as well known, but I, I do want to show something in it. So just stay tuned. Um, but before I do, I want to give some background information as to what happened. So I, I hopefully everybody knows about the recent... Um, threat of a government shutdown um and really yeah yeah everyone was so afraid of it and i'm like please do um but the the government was getting so close to being shut down 
And, of course, there were predictions and everything. Uh, and a, a few weeks ago, this this was happening. Um, and it was going to be averted, right? It, the only way for it to be averted was the continuing spending resolution. And, and it was either that or, or something else. And I, I do have something on that. I, I will explain that other option. However, the continuing spending resolution um, would last 41 days. So the House had 41 days to resolve the issue. Otherwise, the government would uh, shut down. To describe this issue and what was going on, I want to take a quote from the article I was getting my information from. Now, this article is part of the Epoch Times. However, it is a subscriber special. So I do not have a link for it because they won't let me give out a link for it. Uh. Um, so hopefully Bruce can put up an image or something on there of this quote to show that it actually comes from an article and I'm not just making this up. However, the, the quote is, and I'll start with the quote, and I quote, the House must pass the remaining eight of 12 required appropriation bills. Reconcile them with the Senate. Okay. Go to the beginning of the quote. And I quote, the House must pass the remaining eight of 12 required appropriation bills, reconcile them with the Senate, which has so far passed none, and have them signed by the president. Otherwise, the federal government will enter sleep mode or Congress could pass another continuing resolution. The continuing resolution, and this is after the quote, sorry. End quote. <laughs> the continuing resolution um, has been the fix to these types of issues, and apparently this is something that's been going on for a while now, that there's a threat of the government shutting down for whatever reason. And the main fix has been to go with this continuing resolution. And this has been occurring since the 1990s. However, the issue, and the reason we don't want to keep doing this, is that going down that path leads to more and more spending, which these eight freedom fighters, as I want to call them, wanted to avoid the continuing spending. The eight true Republicans were not confident in Kevin McCarthy to not choose the continuing resolution. So in, instead of choosing the continuing resolution, he could go through with the eight of the 12 appropriation bills and it, it would take a while. It would take a good amount of time to do it. But they were saying that Congress has to do that to put forth a budget to do these things so they wouldn't have to put forth so much spending. But they were, they were not confident in McCarthy's decision. They were not confident that McCarthy would choose to do that. So instead of causing more issues for the American people and increase the spending, causing more inflation, they kicked him out. They removed him. So now that there is a vacuum of power, and, and I want to say, and this is what Bruce was bringing up in the beginning, this was all started because of Matt Gates. Matt Gates brought up that one vote and put it to the floor. Hey, uh, 
we want to remove McCarthy because we do not feel confident that he is going to choose this. And they talked with him. They talked with McCarthy directly. I, I do believe Tim Burchett had a lot of communications with um, McCarthy and it would, he was not clear as to whether or not he would choose to go this route or not. So they had some reasonable expectation to say that he wouldn't go for this. So they, Matt Gates, put it to the floor saying, we would like to remove Kevin McCarthy. And with that, there is now a vacuum of power. And then the reason he was being able to be removed is that, and I, because I know people are probably wondering, wait, it's only eight Republicans. How can eight Republicans go up against all the rest of the Republicans and take McCarthy out? The Democrats, there were a lot, I think it was 208 Democrats plus the eight conservatives that got him out. So this is the funny part that I wanted to bring up in an effective strategy is getting the, getting the left to do your job for you. Um, But um, so it worked out quite well that we were, you were, we were able to get him out. So again, like I've been saying, I I reiterated this several times. There's a power vacuum going on and a new speaker of the house must be voted on. However, before I go into the Liberty scores, which I did say I wanted to bring up, I do want to briefly point out that this is an excellent outcome, unlike what almost all other Republicans claim. We'd like to briefly think about what will happen in the future. So, and this really helps us understand whether this was a good decision or not. McCarthy was removed because he didn't listen to the 12 Republicans who halted his election uh, unless he has ascribed, ascribed to a these their list of demands, as I want to call them, um, at the very beginning of his election, so he made he didn't follow that, and there there was not a confidence there that he would follow it. So they got rid of him. However, what is this? Uh, uh, this is the important question, I think. What does that tell future speakers of the House? I think it should certainly tell them that the Republicans will not roll over anymore. If, and, and I suspect, the new speaker will go through the same ringer that McCarthy did. The 12 to 8 freedom fighters will hold the vote until the new speaker upholds specific stipulations. If that speaker does not follow those um, those demands, then much like McCarthy, that new speaker will go down in history as the second ousted speaker. So I, I think this is good that, and, and continuing further, if there's another person that does this, they will be kicked out. New person comes in, doesn't follow, kicked out, and it will cause someone to say, I guess I, mu- I have to follow these. So in, in all, it's a good thing. I want to briefly, I, I know uh, Bruce is really wanting to get to his uh, uh, theological wrap-up, and I'm so sorry that I've taken so much time. Uh, but briefly, I want to go over the free, the Liberty scores. And I'll go th- through this very quickly and explain why I bring this up. First, and these are the eight who voted. Andy Biggs of Arizona has a 100% Liberty score. 
Ken Buck of Colorado has a 96% Liberty score. Matt Gates has an 84% Liberty score. Tim Burchett of Tennessee has a 95% Liberty score. Bob Good of Virginia has a 100% Liberty score. Uh, Rosendale of Montana has a 100% Liberty score. Jim Jordan of Ohio has a 94% Liberty score. And lastly is Chip Roy with a 100% Liberty score in Texas. Now, why do I bring this up? I want to bring this up because these people have historically voted very well on issues, i.e. their, their liberty scores. So why are we attacking these people who have historically been freedom fighters, who have historically been good people on stuff? I think this is still another good decision. To contrast this, lastly, and this is my very last point, to contrast this, McCarthy has a 54% liberty score. 54. That's very bad. Very bad. It's only 4% above 50, meaning half of the time he chooses a good thing, half of the time he doesn't. I don't think that's a person that we want in, in charge. So that is my final point. Hopefully this was a good explanation as to why I think what they did was a good thing. Yeah, that's great. That's really good. And um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it certainly caused a flurry. I think a lot of people are bringing up a good point. Steve Dace brought this up on his show as well, which I thought was really good. Um, why are they getting so outraged about this? And they're not outraged over all the COVID stuff over, you know, economics over literally anything else. Like there's tons of pick your issue guys. Why are you not outraged over that? As outraged over that as you are over over this, right? So, anyways, um, okay. Learning not to settle is my theological wrap up today, and I've titled this section, this first section, "Ah, if only it were that simple." So, today's current events topic is just the latest in a long line of occasions when people settled for a lower standard and paid the price later. The former House Speaker had to be coerced into acting like a freedom-loving American, and the majority of Republicans were perfectly fine with him before the coercion, right? Even worse than that, they got mad at the people with standards and not the guy without any. That's the epitome of settling for less, and it's obvious. Okay, great. Problem solved, right? I mean, we just ousted. I used that phrase. I used that word, Jake, without even realizing that that was the word just heard this in the news so much we just (laughs) ousted the guy who was a result of us settling politically we just need to be on the out uh, on the lookout for other political moments of settling for the lesser of two evils and we'll be okay right be a-okay if we can just avoid any political settling for the lesser of two evils we've learned our lesson Ah, if only if only it were that simple if only we don't just settle for less politically especially here in America, we settle all over the place in our lives. It's, we're, we're just used to it. It's become a way of life. We settle in our churches, in our families, and as individuals every day. We settle for mediocrity in our church sermons and liturgy, in our music, in the way we dress, in how we raise our children, and how we work in the fields God has placed us in, and most egregiously in what we expect God to do in this world. But why? Why do people settle? Here's my take. 
Here's why I think people settle. <clears throat> we can explain this strange behavior from numerous perspectives. First, though, I'd like to argue that people settle because they're afraid. They settle because they're afraid. They see things going steeply downhill and finally see a glimmer of light in a figure like Donald Trump. <clears throat> so they latch on and settle for less because they're terrified that if they don't, we'll lose everything. Does this sound like Christ-minded behavior? Absolutely not. <clears throat> in addition to fear, they settle or compromise because deep down they don't believe God actually intends to let his will be done on earth as in heaven. They don't believe there's really much hope in expecting the world to be Christianized aside from another, maybe we, we, we need another earth shattering event as if the resurrection and ascension of our King wasn't enough of an earth shattering event. So hmm. it boils down to a lack of faith or a lack of trust that God will truly uphold all his promises. Yikers. <laughs> That's not great. Okay, we established that people settle because of fear and lack of faith, but all of that presupposes people actually know they're compromising to the utter shame, the utter shame of today's modern church. We have swarms of desperately uninformed Christians voting and making everyday decisions in our culture today. These Christians, unfortunately, are oblivious to the implications of Christ's kingly reign in the new heaven and new earth being realized today. They don't realize we're meant to make this and every other nation a disciple of Christ, which is to say we're supposed to be Christianizing every aspect of America and the world. They instead believe that the earth God created is now pure corruption and that the only hope for us as Christians in this life is to become basically Gnostics in our mindsets. And we spent most of last year talking about that, that huge issue. So why do people settle? To recap, fear, lack of faith, and ignorance, none of which are good things. And here's the worst part, all of which are overtly prevalent in the pillar and ground of truth. Yikes. <laughs> um, what about you? That doesn't sound good. Um, mm. Not great. Mm -hmm. So when compromise can be a valid option. That seems like a weird section to go to next, but that's where we're going. Where compromise can be, can be a valid option. <clears throat> Though rare, I wouldn't be honest if I made the black and white claim that all compromise is bad, right? Obviously, there are times when compromising truly does push us toward a more Christianized society. But even in those cases, extreme caution must be exercised. As an example, while school choice, having civil government give money to families for their education, is not a good idea. It may very well be the mechanism to end government indoctrination camps once and for all, which would be a blessing rivaled only by the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I'm slightly okay with the compromise of school choice, provided that the ones building it allow for a very, I'm talking very, <laughs> very short-term operation of this socialistic program. The goal should be total independence from the state. If those creating the policy are not of that mind, we have a problem, okay? Another good example is when a church takes a new pastor who is theologically stronger than the last one. 
and realizes there's a lot of work to do to get things in the church up to, up to snuff. Now, he can immediately throw them into, a, into new music with four-part harmonies and frustrate the heck out of them. <laughs> or he could ease people into a more skillful level of music by introducing one new song at a time. Second option is more of a compromise, but it's certainly the better option of the two. Does that make sense? Those two examples of when compromise might be okay. Yeah. Notice that we've been discussing compromise in this section, not settling, right? They're two different things. There's compromise and then there's settling. There's a difference. Christian, particularly theonomist voters settle when they vote for Trump. They compromise when they vote for DeSantis. The difference is one moves proactively in the right direction. The other doesn't. All right, we're moving right on. Finally, standing strong subverts their schemes. Jake, I actually have an extra minute factored in if you wanted to add to this at all or question or quick comment or if not, that's fine too. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I definitely in a little bit. Definitely think this is very interesting, very good. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's talked a lot about when when we should compromise and when we shouldn't. I think there's a lot of talk about, you know, there on on either side, on on both sides of the on the spectrum, you have, oh, the Christians saying we must compromise, you know, in order to get anywhere, we have to compromise, you know. And that's talked a lot about, you know, compromise is a good thing. And then there's on the other side, and rightfully so, trying to bring the pendulum back, you know, there's oh, we we can't compromise at all, stand strong no matter what. You know, which it can make sense. Both have their, their valid points. And, and like always in a Christian society, there must be balance. Yep. Bring the Amen. two together. You might find your biblical answer there or just go to the Bible. <laughs> much easier. Yeah. Right. Much easier yeah. to do. One or the other, you know, pretty much the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. So lastly, standing strong subverts their schemes. To round out our short chat on this topic, I want to share some encouragement on working for God's kingdom. Growth is gradual and almost never in the way we expect. Remember, every time Christ was asked about the kingdom, he alluded to its slow, gradual nature, right? Mustard seed, leaven in a lump, and Ezekiel's temple, Ezekiel 47. This should encourage us. We aren't the ones in charge of it all, okay? We aren't working in our timing. We're working in God's. And the things we think are unrecoverable failures might just be the very tool God uses for victory. When we act like this is true, we will make sacrifices and decisions that others won't. And we'll teach the next generation to do the same. This is what God has called us to do. And that is what will ultimately subvert the schemes of the enemy. Quote, but my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you, I seek my refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Psalm 141, 8 through 10. Thank you all for watching or listening to us today. TRDshow.net is the show website. Send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com. We're looking forward to seeing you on Monday. Make sure you read up on those chapters or listen to the audiobook. It's just as good sometimes. And um, we'll see you then. Remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. Mm -hmm.